Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo, and today's guest is Stacy Malkin, co-founder and managing editor of U.S. Right to Know, a nonprofit investigative research group focused on promoting transparency for public health. She reports on the pesticide industry, disinformation campaigns, environmental health, science, and market development for safer products. Stacy is author of the award-winning book, Not Just a Pretty Face, The Ugly Side of the Beauty Industry, published in 2007, and she is co-founder of the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, a national coalition of health and environmental groups that exposed hazardous chemicals in nail polish, baby products, makeup and hair products, and pressured leading beauty companies to reformulate to safer products. She recently co-authored Merchants of Poison, How Monsanto Sold the World on a Toxic Pesticide. I welcome Stacey Malkin to Savage Minds. I moved to the middle of farming country here where all the farmers are in love with Monsanto. They use Roundup like it's deodorant. There is no education at all towards these farmers of why Roundup might not be a good thing. Ever since, especially 2010, when I went to Haiti after the earthquake and Monsanto was, air quotes here, giving farmers seeds. I don't know if you recall that, but they gave these farmers genetically modified seeds that were not propagatable. And the farmers, in great protest to Monsanto, burned them. Like tens of thousands of kilos of these seeds were burned. And the minister of agriculture there was trying to convince farmers one day at the UN in a meeting of how generous Monsanto was. And the farmers were young and very afraid of him, and I had nothing to lose. So I stood up and I just said, how can you defend this company? It's like the Antichrist of farming. This is not a company that is doing any kind of beneficial work towards farming or farmers, their bodies, their families. I want to begin then with a question to you as to how Monsanto became this company that has been able to infiltrate everywhere in the farming industry with no consequences and now is treated like a hero, like the Haitian Ministry of Agriculture then, and by many other countries, they look to Monsanto as somehow the saving grace for what's wrong with agriculture today. How did that come to be? That is an excellent question, and it's happening, unfortunately, in many industries where we see basically the consolidation of the most corrupt. Um, Monsanto is extremely aggressive in its business practices. Um, Their business model, as you mentioned, (laughs) the genetically modified seeds that are engineered to withstand um, Roundup. So basically, the seeds are uh, will withstand this chemical that will kill everything green, but not the seeds that are engineered to resist it. Um, and they've made huge profits with the combination of the seeds and the chemicals, which once farmers start to use them, it, you know, it's it's easier to keep using them. It's easier to get yeah, they have to buy the seeds every year from Monsanto and then they're needing to use more and more glyphosate roundup every year because it stopped working to kill the weeds. And so now these companies are looking at how can we engineer seeds to withstand a combination of different uh, toxic pesticides. So it's a toxic treadmill and it's not good for health, the environment, uh, or our food system. Not at all. In fact, our vegetable garden was not far from where this farmer was spraying onto his peach trees. And I said, please don't do that. I'll buy an organic spray. Oh, but you have to get the bugs and the fungus. And I'm like, 
yeah, I can do, there are so many products on the market. Do you know what neem is? No, no, that went nowhere. And the problem is that these farmers are not only ignorant much of the time, but they are aggressively ignorant in the sense of they look at you, especially here, a woman, you don't know anything. And they don't get the kind of education that I think should be given to them. I've written the Ministry of Agriculture here in Italy about this. And I've said, you know, the only way to combat this is to offer incentives. It's going to have to take the form of monetary incentives in terms of giving them alternatives that might cost less than Monsanto and even free classes. I don't know, do something rurally where you get a group of 20 farmers together on the farm and PowerPoint it. I don't know, do figure out something because I moved to the country to have a vegetable garden that paradoxically I probably shouldn't even have because we're probably going to be eating glyphosate and various other chemicals. I'm literally on the heels on, on the back of my house and on the side are huge vineyards. And I don't know if you're aware what happened in Northeast Italy with the production of the grapes for Prosecco, but there's been a huge cancer crisis. This was repressed again in the media. People complain about Berlusconi and his power over media, but that's nothing. Italy has 6,000 cases of defamation against journalists a year, such as what happened to me and my good doctor. The reason for this is that you, if you can control the press, you can control information. You can tell people what the science is, uh, to use that lovely phrase over the last three years. You can convince anyone that what you're spraying on your vines is perfectly safe. Because they said it to me and, and whoever said it to them said it to them from someone else. And no one really knows what this chain of whispers is. But people tend not to be skeptical about this information, despite the outbreak of cancer in the zone of these very toxic chemicals sprayed onto grapevines. Yeah, I, I, I like that chain, the chain of whispers. Um <laughs> And, you know, that's why we, my group is called U.S. Right to Know, and we started about eight years ago. And we started because we wanted to understand how does that chain of whispers work? What's behind that? Why is it that so many people, professors, researchers, farmers, uh, the, the list goes on, were speaking words that we knew came straight from Monsanto's public relations departments? And we started this in California. We tried to label genetically engineered foods in 2012. And I worked on that campaign. I worked as the media director. And um, it was fascinating. I mean, heartbreaking, but fascinating because there was so much public support for labeling, 70%. Any political party, all political persuasions, all people wanted to see labeling, which you've had in Europe for you know decades, and we just haven't had it here. There, there, were, there was basically no attention to genetically engineered foods in the United States for a very long time. So in 2012, we tried to label GMOs, and suddenly it was in the news. Well, the backlash from Monsanto, and it wasn't just Monsanto, it was all the pesticide firms and all the major processed food companies, uh, but it was led by Monsanto. They spent $45 million in the space of about a month, um, just saturating the state with incredible propaganda, just 
lies, lies, lies. We knew they were lies, but they were coming through every channel. They were coming from universities and professors and Nobel laureate scientists and lawyers and reporters, just this lockstep um, army of people speaking the talking points that were coming from the Monsanto campaign. Uh, and unfortunately, this is the heartbreaking part. It worked. It worked. It convinced this very liberal state in the course of one month, this public support for the ballot initiative dropped like a rock and we lost. Uh, many people who wanted labeling were convinced they shouldn't vote for it because of all sorts of crazy reasons. And you know, most people, I think it was the number I heard at the time was 40% of people in California were making their decisions on how they voted based entirely on what they saw on TV. So, and this campaign, they had so much money, they almost couldn't even know how to spend it. So we saw like TV ads, radio ads, every other minute, billboards everywhere, mailers to people's homes. So this was just an extremely aggressive campaign. And we wanted to know afterwards, how did they do that? How does that work? And we started our group, U.S. Right to Know, really to answer that question. And we started to try to figure it out by filing public records requests um, at public universities, public professors, uh, state and federal agencies, just requesting documents for um, how were people working with Monsanto, their public relations firms, the other pesticide companies um, behind the scenes? And we found out a lot of information that they did not want us finding out that they um, thought would be kept hidden. So that's the basis of the report that I recently wrote called Merchants of Poison, How Monsanto Sold the World on a Toxic Pesticide. We talk about what we found. I read it and I just wanted to cry, Stacey. I <sighs> am horrified, not surprised after my experience in Haiti. And I read that piece in Vanity Fair many years ago on, it was Monsanto's Harvest of Fear, where they talk about the agents mm. going to farmers, posing as government employees to see if people are propagating seeds, to see what they're doing with Monsanto products. And they were putting pressure they were the seed police. Uh, some of the farmers were calling them the, the seed mafia or seed Gestapo. When I read that article many years ago, I was taken aback as well. But after what I saw on the ground in Haiti, I was no more surprised. Your report is amazing. And I went through a lot of the source material that you mentioned in the report. And it was co-authored, correct, with Kendra Klein and Anna Lape? Yes, yep. Okay, so this was, I mean, because I just want our reader, I'm going to link to it in the description, but I, I want our readers to understand that this is like serious stuff that I just can't get my head around some days because <laughs> the pernicious nature of what's going on here has taken place because of what is called astroturfing. Now, I work on the subject of astroturfing in another domain, but I'm wondering if you can talk about it in terms of what Monsanto does, because when I started to look into Freedom to Farm, sounds great, doesn't it? Sounds like a hippie organization. Who wouldn't want to be part of Freedom to Farm? And then you find out it's a puppet organization that Monsanto propped up, and you can tell the listeners more, but I was just blown away by this. Yeah, that's one of the of one of many, many sort of mind blowing examples. And and what's surprising, shocking, sad about our report 
is not the one thing, but it's how very many ways they work at all levels to control the narrative and the science regulations of their product. So how did they, to your original question first, I just want to say, how did they get to this powerful position? It, t- it took a, a, an entire side industry of propaganda and including bullies and attacks on scientists and the seed police and, and many other ways that they've infiltrated um, their products into farmers' hands and onto farms, but also the ideas in our minds that we need these products, that they're necessary to feed the world, um, which is, I, I hope we get a chance to talk about because, you know, the entire U.S. Midwest is basically corn and soy fields saturated with glyphosate. And those farms are not feeding people. They're feeding cows um, and cars and processed food factories. Um, so that's a, a, a bigger issue that we, it's really important that we challenge these narratives, but our work really lays out sort of what's behind getting them in front of us. So the AstroTurf operations, well, that's a, a fake grassroots group. So a group that is intended to look like it's coming from the grassroots, but is really managed from PR firms. Um, and a lot of the ways that Monsanto does its work is through third parties, who appear to be independent. So front groups, um, public relations firms working in all sorts of different ways. And the Freedom to Farm was a a group in Europe that purported to be farmers that were against any sort of regulation for glyphosate. Um, But the documents show that what it really was, was um, a PR firm construct. So Fleischmann Hillard public relations firm Um, organized Freedom to Farm. uh, And they had, I think it was 40 full-time equivalent employees, um, according to this document, and 56 trained operatives in the field. So, you know, 90 people being paid across Europe to recruit or look like or create the impression of farmers um, that were against regulations. The group was also setting up websites for fake farming groups that were intended to look like grassroots groups. They also closely monitor every critic um, that speaks about glyphosate. Uh, It it came out at one point that Bayer's PR firm, and we should mention that Monsanto was purchased by Bayer. So the German firm Bayer is now, as far as we can see, adopted all these strategies and is continuing them on. Um, but Bayer was at one point uh, at Fleischmann Hillard's was their PR firm. They were tracking, monitoring journalists, um, politicians, influencers. I mean, closely looking at everything that you do, um, studying people. <laughs> they, they got fined for this. Yeah. In France. And they said, well, that's just what we do. We, we track, we track all these, we track friends and foes of pesticides. They know what everybody's saying about their products. And they, they have plans to push back even against the most minute um, tweets, Facebook posts, articles. Yeah, journalists for sure uh, hear it if they cover glyphosate negatively. Their editors hear about it. Um, it's it's just a, a massive public relations campaign happening on all levels to protect this narrative that we need glyphosate and GMOs. 
And surprisingly, there are a few repercussions that happen. In, in my letter to the health authority here, in addressing my doctor, I mean, I wasn't even dealing with her incompetence in terms of not knowing how to get a basic blood test for agrochemical poisoning, which is not completely her fault. It should be something that these doctors are trained in, and she clearly was not. My shock of it all was that when I said, I'd like your press office, because I'm going to go forward and, and investigate this issue as to why in the center of farming in this country, doctors know nothing. Nobody is responding to my request to have the water tested after much time of asking. And there seems to be a breakdown in communication here. But worse, mm. I went to those emails, those emails. Oh, my God, Bruce. Where should we send future gifts in support of biotechnology outreach by the university? I have an additional 15000 planned for later in the year, Eric. This was to Bruce Chassie, who was a professor who faked information to approve or to make Monsanto seem like its glyphosates were fine. Now, ironically, Bruce M. Chassie, who was a professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, is still employed by that very university. He committed fraud and still has an academic post. You would lose your position for minor violations of plagiarism, for instance. But he committed to pay for fake science fraud and has a job, as does the other person that is mentioned in one of your articles, or maybe your report, David Tribe, PhD. Now, that was just one of the emails sent by the head of Monsanto to pay off people. And you have documented this in your report. Many emails that demonstrate a trail of what has been going on here. This is clearly unethical, but it's not illegal. Do we need laws against this? Because even astroturfing, what it is, it's basically the Truman Show. It's the Truman Show, except we're all in it and we're not really aware that it's staged in props. We're like Truman, all of us, right? <laughs> and this is the bad part of it, is that it's completely not illegal. This is how PR, marketing, and as you mentioned in your report, it's not just the agrochemical companies. It's also certain sectors of the food industry. And why is that? This, this is crazy, Stacey. It, it is Truman-like, <laughs> Um, for sure. And I think, do we need laws? I mean, I think we need transparency. That's what we're working on at U.S. Right to Know is put shining light on what's happening in these dark corners so that people can begin to see how much what we're hearing about is deliberately orchestrated. Um, one of the ways that the pesticide industry, I, I think, is not, is not understood how much, um, propaganda and public relations is behind the science on pesticides and how we think about them um, as compared to say the fossil fuel industry or the tobacco industry, which run a lot of the same strategies and tactics, um, but get called out on it more. But the pesticide industry has an advantage over the other two. And that is that the mainstream scientists are on board with what the pesticide industry is doing there. And as we found in our research, are sometimes being directly paid by Monsanto and the other pesticide companies to promote their products. So what Bruce Chassie did, he wasn't doing science. Um, well, he, he did some reports attacking the organic industry and so forth. But he was 
promoting you know gmos and pesticides he was lobbying against labeling he was lobbying against um public health studies on genetically engineered foods uh, he was a very reliable stalwart um promotional tool for the pesticide companies. And he actively courted that role. We saw in the emails that he was looking to raise money to start a group called Academics Review. That could sound like it was an independent group that would say it was an independent group. They said um, they were not taking money from companies. They were not influenced by companies. That's what they said publicly. But the emails show that they were raising money from Monsanto and the pesticide companies specifically to attack um, influential people who were a problem for the pesticide companies. And they, they had a whole list, they, a target opportunities list, they called it, of people that they would uh, push back against, um, Vandana Shiva, for example, and others that have, you know, too much of a public platform <laughs> that, that don't like what Monsanto's doing. Um, so you know, Bruce Chassie was working with a fellow named Jay Byrne, who is Monsanto's former communications director. And Jay Byrne would go around to companies making a presentation about how eco-activists were a huge threat to business as they know it, and they needed to fund these campaigns to fight back against these eco-activists um, and organic terrorists, basically. Um, and, and so, you know, they, you saw they funded Bruce Chassie to start Academics Review, and then he wrote a, an attack report on the organic industry. Um and, you know, we we exposed all that with records and emails that we obtained through public records requests. So that was just the be beginning of starting to peel back what's going on here. What are the money flows? Um, and Chassie was, was very prominent in the media. He, he was at one point, I wrote this in the report, he was quoted in the Associated Press twice in one week on the topic of genetically engineered foods as an independent expert. But as you saw and just mentioned, you know, the where do I send gifts uh, to the University for Biotechnology Outreach? Um, was what Monsanto's uh, employee was asking him. So they were they were paying the, not only the university, you know, some five million dollars that was not publicly dis disclosed over a period of time. They were also paying chassis directly, and then also funding this academics review, which was a project that he was starting as he was retiring. That's just one example. Well, when I said that chassis was part of like a scientific fraud. I, I'm referring to the way he used his position and title to push ahead an agenda that he was paid to do. Yeah. Because when people see someone who's a scientist in a food and agriculture department, and the same for his colleague in, in Australia, they take it for granted that what they are rubber stamping, they've investigated when that was not at all the case. In fact, I clicked on a lot of the research you did because I wanted to just see it. And the astroturfing that Monsanto has done is phenomenal because they have even this idea of the academics review. If you go to that website, it's phenomenal the amount of pure propaganda that you can find in terms of people who've clearly been volunteering or paid to write utter hokum. And this is cataloged. It, it gets Google tracked. It, everything is in there on the same wavelength in terms of when we search for 
information on Google that can come up. So we're in a media war of sorts over what is the real information and what is the fake information. And in many ways, strangely enough, it parallels the debates we've been hearing over the last three years about follow the science. Well, which science? And can we discuss it openly so that there's not one Ubermeister who has hold of the last word on this without anyone seeing the science on an open table, right? And academic review then pretends to be, it sounds really good, just like, you know, Farmers for Freedom. It sounds really lefty. Academics review sounds somewhat academic, but scratch the surface. And that's not at all what it is. And then you have even more that's gone on with how Monsanto has made this theater, the Truman Show we live in, such that we can be made to believe because of not just Farmers for Freedom, they replicated this all over the EU, didn't they? So you have the Contadina in Libertà in Italy, you have all these organizations that have been copy and pasted, and they sound like people who earnestly want to have glyphosates, who argue that it's important, right? Yes, yes. And the EU is really important because it, um, you know, it is looking at whether to re-register glyphosate, whether to allow its continued use. Um, there's a lot of skepticism and, um, and I think good work to limit pesticides in Europe. And the pesticide companies are freaking out about that. And so Europe is really ground zero of all the lobbying strategies, all the propaganda strategies. Um, In the U.S. here, we we really don't have a regulatory threat. I mean, our government agencies are just doing what the pesticide companies tell them to do. I mean, that's maybe a little bit too cynical, but not even very much. Um, But where the companies get in trouble here is with the lawsuits. And so that has been a huge problem for Monsanto and now Bayer um, is that the the 100,000 people are suing them um, who have cancer. And those were uh, groundskeepers, everyday gardeners who used Roundup at their homes, farmers uh, suing Monsanto um, because uh, it's uh, glyphosate was was deemed to be a probable human carcinogen by the World Health Organization's Cancer Research Panel, um, and most closely tied to non-Hodgkin lymphoma, um, which has been rising and rising and <laughs> rising in these communities. So, um, you know, because of the lawsuits, it, it, many, many documents and that we wrote about in the report came to light. Um, and because of those documents, which showed clearly not only how Monsanto ran its public relations campaign, also how it worked over the years to manipulate the scientific record. Um, so we see many ways that companies, and, and this is, again, not just Monsanto, but we focused on Monsanto and glyphosate because we had so many documents from both the lawsuits and from our own investigation over so many years. So we, it's such a trove of interesting information. And so we decided to spend the years that we spent um, reading through and just documenting, okay, what did these tell us, these internal corporate records tell us about how they run their um, science denial and disinformation campaigns? And so on the science side, there's lots of of ways, as you said, which science, you know, which science do we believe? <laughs> and, you know, and, and 
a lot of times what we'll hear in the media, the science that's believed is whatever supports a very large profit stream. <laughs> and so, you know, who's making money on the science uh, that says a product is okay? Um, Monsanto used all sorts of tricks to manipulate the scientific record. We see their scientists talking about, um, you know, ghostwriting studies, um, choosing friendly scientists who they could count on to support particular narratives, um, creating studies that with a PR narrative in mind, um, will get this data to support that message, um, you know, not doing basic research, not following trails that scientists were warning them about. You need to do more research on this. Okay, well, well we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is write, rewrite this paper so that it's it's not as much of a concern. You know, they talked about vulnerabilities in the science that they needed to shore up support. Um, you know, one of the judges on the cases that, that listened to two weeks of science testimony said, you know, it, it. you wonder if they even care whether their product is causing cancer. You know, it looks like they were just um, trying to convince the public. And so be those documents really played a big role in the juries that found them guilty for um you know, and gave huge awards to people who said they got cancer from Roundup and said that Monsanto knew and covered up the risks and didn't warn. And what's amazing is that they still aren't warning people about the cancer risk. So they haven't uh, stopped their liability. Um, and that's just uh, astonishing to me, actually, because they're, they did settle a uh, 100,000 lawsuits for $11 billion dollars. Um, but the lawsuits are still ongoing. There's still about 30,000 lawsuits left currently, but there could be any number more in the future because people are still using the product. It still doesn't have warnings. Um, so the hubris is just sort of amazing. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. In reading one of the documents that I was able to find online because of your report, oh, this is blew my socks off. It's their confidential for internal use only, like, FBI report, you know, which one I'm talking about when they show 15,789 prospects acquired as of 6 p.m. I mean, they really think they're MI6 officers. They've got the countries, France, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Spain, UK, all of them. And they show the number of prospects, number of events, the number of targets, the agents that they have. The current campaign has of 39.5, I, I presume that's staff hours, 21 active employees in FH country level teams in Brussels, France, Germany. It like, it's a breakdown of their spy ring. Okay. <laughs> and this is, but this is insane. And in free marketers, capitalists might say, well, that's how you do a business. But I would argue this has to be out in the light if this is being done, because there's the reason why they were in trouble with France is because they broke the law. Privacy is a thing, especially in France. 
you have them actually giving political intelligence. It's called that section political intelligence during an interview with a political TV show on 8 December. The name is blanked out. Candidate of left wing for the primaries expressed that he wants to ban endocrine disruptors underlying that they are present in pesticides. So they've really done their homework. They are targeting, as you said earlier and in your report, they target politicians, they target media personalities they target journalists so that they can control the narrative it's insane well it's it's a it's an entire sector of the economy i mean a lot of people are (laughs) have their full-time jobs are on this type of narrative control and you know that's how you do a business as you said you know that is what they say that's how you do a business but that that part is astonishing to me because this is what it takes to justify the business model of the pesticide industry. It takes an entire sector of the economy devoted to um, science denial and narrative control and propaganda and running messages through front groups. And without that, I don't think their business model could survive. Um, So in a way, you know, what we found in the report is really a sign of desperation of this industry. They're, They're trying to justify their existence because it's making huge money for some people and it's continuing to uh, you know increase in profits and good for the stock market and all that so some people are making money um but how do they keep that going well they they're trying to open the door in in new countries africa is a is a huge focus of um the chemical companies and getting industrial chemical intensive agriculture going in africa um you know Obviously, stopping Europe from regulating pesticides is huge on the agenda. Um, And meanwhile, what we're seeing is huge amounts of crop land under this industrial farming model is used for corn and soy and these commodity crops that, you know, aren't nutritious. But as I said earlier, are are useful in feeding cows and feeding ultra processed food factories and, and also to make biofuels to feed cars not to feed people. So we've done quite a bit of, I've done a lot of reporting on what's been happening in Africa with um, groups like the Gates Foundation um, pushing for farmers to abandon, you know, traditional seeds and they call it subsistence farming, a belittling term there, but, you know, farming traditional crops and, and let's get that land into corn and soy and commodity crops that you can sell in the global market. Um, and in order to do that, you know, you need to buy our patented seeds and use lots of fertilizers because the soil doesn't want to grow those kind of crops um, and, and lots of pesticides, too. Yes, Africa has been targeted quite a bit in terms of also buyouts of land by a lot of uh, Chinese businesses right. and uh, the agrochemical industry there. And it's it's a cocktail of disaster. Um one thing when you mentioned corn that's directly linked to the food industry that uses corn to make very cheap and not healthy corn syrup. Corn syrup and all, all kinds of processed food ingredients are coming from corn and soy. Yeah. What also struck me about your report is <laughs> the way you were able to get quite a bit of information. And these emails from Eric Sachs, he thinks 
he owns the planet. It's really astonishing his language. I remember in one email when he said something like, let's get the money. There's a lot of money in it for us or something to that degree. And I was just like, ooh, creepy. Um, there's this kind of arrogance about what these people are doing. And they know that they are creating a stage, a theater. They know that they're turning on the lights and we're all Truman. And the arrogance is that they know it and continue these communications as if they'll never be found out. Did you have any pushback from Monsanto after you made these discoveries and published them? Oh, we had pushback from Monsanto before we even started. And that's one of the most fascinating things about this story. At one point, now we, as I said, after the labeling campaign, we started to do research. We launched U.S. Right to Know in 2015. Before we even, basically before we even hung out our shingle, we were getting attacked um, in high-level publications for trying to get records from professors. And so this has been a constant theme since we started our organization. Um, front groups attacking us personally, attacking our group, constant articles, um, reporters getting harassed if they cover what we're doing, editors getting harassed. They did not want our information to get out to the public. Um, at one point, a few years into this, um, a document came out and it was Monsanto's public relations plan to deal with my group, U.S. Right to Know. It, it had a title, uh, U.S. Right to Know FOIA Communications Plan. So it was an entire 31-page document devoted to discrediting us. There were three of us at the time, three employees at my group, and they had this public relations plan that was involving 11 Monsanto employees, two public relations firms, all of the top pesticide companies were involved. And it's just an amazing document. It, it talks about how to frame our requests for public records as attacks on scientists. Um, it talks about um, how they would respond to one tweet from my boss, Gary Ruskin. Um, how they would respond by, you know, you, you posting things on supposedly independent websites, um, how they would respond to more social media engagement, what messages they would use if reporters asked certain questions. And that, you know, these this plan was rolled out, as they do with all of their public relations plans, through third-party allies that look like they're not connected to the companies. So there was a lot of effort going into trying to silence um, what we might find and worrying about what we would find in the documents that we were requesting. So, and we've written about what we did find, you know, this report is, is a piece of that. I couldn't even get all the stories in. <laughs> it could have been longer. It's already 100 pages with 500 footnotes, but it could have been longer. Yeah, and, and we continue to write about our findings at usrtk.org. I've done fact sheets on lots of the um, professors on the front groups. And, you know, do we get pushback? Yes, you can. Somebody was just telling me the other day, I Googled your name and, oh, my God, what you, a lot of people don't like you they're constantly attacking us and that's you know unfortunate and uncomfortable but I, I think anyone who who speaks out against pesticides and GMOs has been on on the receiving end of those sorts of attacks 
I can't even tell you my shock when I had the carpenter come to my home and they were like, yes. um, we're here about your doctor. And I'm like, I've gotten another doctor. I don't know why you're here. I had no <laughs> clue. And then I had to get a lawyer. And my lawyer's like, you're in Italy. You can't speak. I'm like, what? It's been a learning curve because I'm not supported by a journalist NGO in Berlin. But the fact that 6,000 journalists a year are charged in this country, it's a no-brainer that the pesticide industry is up and running here. Recently, December, I wanted to know what was going to happen with the glyphosates. I've been following it very carefully because of what happened to me. And so I was in touch with various people in the EU community who are both in the NGO sector and in government. And then I found out, indeed, mid-December they met and they decided to protract it for another year. I was very disappointed because how many people have to die for action to be taken up? And this is something that I wrote to Pan Europe and I was just really upset about this. And I had a nice dialogue with the person who works there. And even the agricultural sector in the government here is aware of this. There's a hold by the industry over the belief system that is everywhere. Farmers think that Monsanto is saving them time, work and money. And that's just not true. So how do we convince people to push back because as long as Monsanto is going to do this kind of astroturfing, governments are always going to be approached by these fake lobbies that they aren't even aware are fake unless they read your report. But how many, like we need to get your report under all of their noses because it, no, it's really vital because the astroturfing industry isn't just agrochemical. It's in every sector. I'm finding it in other areas where I, I research and it's very disturbing that this is a way of controlling democratic wish. You can't give people fake information and then they get behind the fake information and call it a democracy. It's really concerning. And, and you know, the new narrative now is that we need these products to, to fix the climate, you know, climate smart agriculture. We just need to double down on genetically engineered seeds. We need more fertilizer. You know, the fertilizer crisis is the new talking point. It's all because of the war in Ukraine. You know, so they're, they're, they're extremely adept at picking up on whatever new crisis. You know, Naomi Klein calls that disaster capitalism. Um, the, the system is, is, is very able quickly to reinvent itself to respond to the next as the solution to the next crisis, the crisis that they're helping to create in the first place. And so we see that happening with the pesticide industry now, um, arguing that, well, you know, we need more fertilizer, we need more seeds that we own and are proprietary, we need more pesticides um, in order to feed the world, um, in order to deal with climate change. Um, we, you know, Bill Gates is out there talking about magic seeds. Um, we need GMOs. We need fake meat. People need to stop eating meat. We need to shift everyone in the Western world over to eating, um, you know, cell cultured meat and the next wave of ultra, ultra processed foods. It's just, it's crazy. Um, how do what do we do about it? You know, that's a harder question. It's easier for us to say how they do it. And I think it's extremely important, as you said, for all politicians who are going to be considering the glyphosate question for scientists who are looking at it in Europe to understand how very much effort has gone into 
um, controlling not just the, the narratives, um, but the science itself. And, you know, like we see in Europe, for example, there was information that came out that um, Monsanto had ghostwritten entire sections of the German regulatory agency's report on glyphosate. Um, they, a, a, a scientist in Vienna studied the, the science that went into the regulatory agency decisions and found that most of the corporate studies were shoddy science. They didn't even include the tests that were most likely able to detect cancer risk. I mean, this is like just bad science that they're putting forth um, that regulatory agencies then just take wholesale and say, well, it's safe. And then the front groups, well, all the regulatory agencies say it's safe and these critics are crazy and we're going to attack them relentlessly. I mean, one of the astonishing things, too, about the Monsanto story is that it's sort of how desperate they got to the point where they didn't all-out attack on the World Health Organization's Cancer Research Agency, the International Agency for Research on Cancer. And again, we see in the Mon in Monsanto's documents, you know, how they geared up their plans, uh, their responsiveness plan, they called it, for um, the IARC cancer rating of glyphosate. They did come out in 2015 and say that it's a probable human carcinogen. And um, Monsanto was ready to go with its own science front groups to attack the scientists, you know, messaging plans that they sent out through the whole processed food industry was, you know, singing the tune. So they have a huge choir and the public relations firms in the background, you know, as the conductors and everybody's singing the same tune, you know, all of that is orchestrated, but, but it seems, I think the average person doesn't see that journal. A lot of journalists don't see it. They think, well, everybody's saying it. It must be true. All these different people can't be saying something that's untrue. Um, but in fact, that is how it works. That's what we saw on the GMO labeling campaign. It was so obvious to us. All these people are saying something that we know is not true. How does that work? And then you see how it, it works because um, it ties right back to their public relations documents and talking points. Yes. And in fact, the commissioner of the European Commission for General Health and Food Safety, Stella Kyriakides, wrote about the decision in December and mentions beyond just one cancer goes into all the possible problems that come from glyphosates. And she writes, for example, in addition to its carcinogenicity, potential recent studies show that glyphosate and glyphosate products can be neurotoxic and contribute to the development of Parkinson's disease, can cause kidney disease and disrupt the human and animal microbiome. Maternal exposure to glyphosate has also been linked to spontaneous deliveries with shortened gestational length and abnormal development of reproductive organs in newborns. You know, after three yeah. years of follow the science, you would think that this is a no-brainer. And let's skip, Stacy, to the alternatives, because in my escaping a tiny flat of lockdown to the country, only to be surrounded by Monsanto, I was able to, before I found out the depth of all this, I was able to have a garden where I had intermittent rows of flowers and plants that repel insects, most insects. And it, yes, I'm not a commercial farmer. No, I'm not feeding a whole country. 
But in just doing that kind of interspersal of rows of certain types of flowers like calendula, near salad or whatnot, it actually it works with a lot of different vegetables. I was able to have a garden that basically nothing was eaten except for obviously slugs in certain countries and certain parts of the country will be very prevalent like in Cornwall I did a lot of farming there on various permaculture farms and there's nothing you can do to get rid of slugs except to maybe be generous when you cut your lettuce off to leave some lettuce for them to eat but the co-planting of certain types of plants that will repel insects worked in my experiments why are products and and maybe types of methods like this not more pushed because it makes sense in a world where we're facing the water table being more and more contaminated not less and less i mean it's the only thing that makes sense it, looking at biodiversity ecologically working with the earth to grow food. Uh, a lot of people around the world are working on that. Many African groups that are pushing against, you know, what's happening with the Gates Foundation and with the push for industrial agriculture are, um, you know, pushing for showing that ecological farming is working, not only for the earth and for growing diverse, nutritious crops, but also for communities and for farmers. Um, so there's a new research field and, and a lot of good science on, I mean, it's not new, right? It's been the way we farmed forever. Um, but there's research showing all this. It's the research that we don't hear about. And, and a lot of the funding in universities is going, unfortunately, to these sort of narrow technical solutions of new seeds that will be magic and fix climate change. And it just, that's not how nature works, um, one thing you mentioned about, I wanted to go back to the all the other health effects associated with glyphosate because it's so important. A lot of what we've talked about today, and like the front groups, the professors, the um, you know the regulatory fights, the lawsuits, the science manipulation, all of that revolved around one health effect from one chemical. You know, they're looking at cancer. They're looking specifically really at non-Hodgkin lymphoma um, or other types of cancer, not even considering all of the other health effects, which you mentioned, of which there's a lot of science showing that glyphosate is also linked to um, endocrine disruption, fertility and reproductive concerns, um, kidney disease, liver disease, you know, you named many of them more. Um, also harm to bees, monarch butterflies, um, a harm to the soil. And that's just one chemical. <laughs> so when you start to look at all the pesticides and related health effects, I mean, we just don't have no, we have no idea. The science isn't even conducted to figure out the cumulative impacts of all of this. Um, what choice do we have but to move away from it? <laughs> um and I think, that, you know, do the companies know this? I mean, they're just focused on the short-term profit. And I think that's important for all of us to hold. Like the system itself is geared toward only what's going to result in short-term profits. And as long as that's our system, this is the result. The food system is going to keep on this path because people are making money from it. And there's not a lot of money in the other route that you mentioned, biodiversity, 
ecology, agroecology. Um, but that's but there's feeding the world is the result of that route, protecting the earth, preserving things for future generations. Um, we need to put those values back in our economic system. Yes, and when I called the Ministry of Agriculture here to ask about this a year ago after I was poisoned, well, we have to consider, we have to provide food to people. Wait a second. You know, when I read about Academics Review in your piece, I found it. It's been taken off the web, but you can find it on archive.org. And the article they've run, debunking pseudoscience lab testing health risk claims about glyphosate. So their articles are just paved for bullshit articles buttressing pro-glyphosate positions. But, you know, I went to the American Council on Science and Health. You know about that, of course. <laughs> yes, our friends. <laughs> they love to. There has to be a stamp. You know, I, I, I keep coming back to this. I was saying the, the other day to a guest, as a, as a journalist, and I'm coming out of academia, been a journalist since 2010, since the earthquake in Haiti. And I keep going back and forth from, Politburo, not Politburo. Like, do we need to have a rubber stamp on what you remember the New York Times that headline, all the news that fits to print? We know that the New York Times lied about Russiagate too. So, where do we get this kind of stamp that can go on articles to say bullshit, you know, or or websites like this, the American Council on Science and Health? It sounds just like Farming for Freedom. It all sounds really lefty and cool, but this. I went through the articles here, just like I did on the archive database of Academics Review, and it's the same old, same old. It's pushing the glyphosate industry. It's, it's pushing the glucose-based diet industry. It's insane. And they've been at it since the 70s. Yeah. And, and there, there were some interesting Monsanto documents related to that group, the American Council on Science and Health, which were it consisted of Monsanto going to them and asking them to help defend glyphosate against cancer concerns. Uh, employees at that group going to Monsanto and begging for money. And then there was a line of conversation about of Monsanto executives discussing against themselves how they really don't like that group, um, but they really don't. They need all the friends that they can get. Um, and, and one Monsanto executive was trying to convince his colleagues, like, let's just give them money because look, they've produced in, in just this last little bit of time fifty three articles, several reports, you know, promoting. Monsanto's products, glyphosate and GMOs. So, so it's just straight up corporate defense for science, but they're producing huge amounts of content. I mean, many people paid full time to produce lots of content that rises to the top of the Google search that is connected to this large group of other industry connected writers and websites that sort of circulate each other's stuff, use each other as sources. Some of them are professors and academics, so they have a little stamp of approval there. But as we saw in the documents, some of them were getting directly paid by Monsanto or other companies to do public relations work for the companies. So it's just, it's not obvious, but it's so vast that it it, it seems legit. Yes. And it's not just that one pesticide, as you mentioned, you have other pesticides like uh, Dicamba, 
And there's a lot of contention about what information is correct, because as they roll them out, farmers themselves aren't necessarily literate in science, and they just trust what they're being sold. I speak to farmers here all the time, and I, I say, are you aware of the health risks you're taking by using this? And uh, most of them are not. Or in fact, when they say they're not aware, they will have heard something about it and then they hand wave it as an exaggeration. Yeah. And and unfortunately, we see if you look back in history, the story that we tell in our report, they they you know manipulated the science. They um, lied on many levels about what they knew about the health risks um, you'll see the same story with PCBs. <laughs> you know, Monsanto knew they covered up massive pollution of PCBs in the United States. Um, still repercussions from that. Uh, they knew they kept dumping it in streams anyway. Dicamba, they knew, the documents show they knew that it was going to cause problems when the use of dicamba went up because of genetically modified seeds were approved in the United States that resist dicamba. Um and people worried and Monsanto scientists uh, predicted that one of the outcomes of this could be um, that this chemical could drift across the Midwest to other farms. And that's exactly what happened. And millions of acres of crops were lost due to drift of this chemical that had been predicted. Um, but, you know, they know they 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 don't seem to care. It's all driving toward the profit stream. Um this is again and again, the Teflon chemical, chlorpyrifos, um, not just Monsanto, the other pesticide companies too. Every one of them has scandals in their closet. They're not even in their closet anymore. They just spilled right out in their own documents about how they knew, they covered up, they lied, they sold it anyway for as long as they could get away with until they got sued, until they got caught. Nobody really got in trouble. They do it the next time. That's our system. That it really calls into question the necessary changes that need to be undertaken because we have the same exact, it's cut and paste from the FDA big pharma problem of fentanyl and oxycontin. Remember when Obama appointed the former Monsanto lobbyist, Michael Taylor, to lead the FDA? Oh, yes. <laughs> this is insane. But this is exactly what goes on. People are like, well, well, how did this happen? I just had someone on Twitter try to aggressively attack me over my views. But I said, this is, unfortunately, this is a free market problem. When everything's about money, people will run over each other with tractors to get the money. And that's what's happening because the people in boardrooms aren't on the farms. They're not going to get this cancers. They're not going to have endocrine or reproductive problems. It's the farmers that they really don't give two tosses about. I was not a big supporter of Obama. I'm much further to the left than the Democrats. So I was a bit alarmed and annoyed when I saw people touting, oh, Obama. I'm like, no, he's not. What he did with the FDA, anyone who appoints anyone from Monsanto has a problem in ethics because that company is not clean. Michael Taylor is certainly not. And this is where we are. We're in this mechanism of FDA people and big pharma and agrochemical markets they all like match and switch so that they know they're going to get the approval for what they want as well, because they know that down the line, they're going to get a cushy job with Monsanto or with some drug company. Yeah, the revolving door. It's true. It's true. It's it's daunting. Um, 
<laughs> where can we find the hope though? I mean, we're just working on, on transparency as our guiding um, principle. Like let's make this visible. First of all, give people the tools to understand it. So you can look at um, who's doing what, who's getting paid for what, you know, we've donated many of our documents to UCSF, uh, chemical industry library and food industry libraries. So uh, that's where the tobacco documents are. And they have a great searchable website where you can look up documents, look up people, and it will turn up any documents of their collaborations with the chemical companies, the food companies. Um, you know, shows like this, groups like ours, telling the truth. Um, and also getting our own radar. I mean, the New York Times, for example, yes, they have done some horrible <laughs> misjustices of reporting, and they also do some excellent reporting, sometimes even on the same topic, you know? So you so you, you just have to, I think, we read a wide range of um, of news sources and, and, and find, sharpen your own radar for what's true and what looks suspicious when certain narratives for example suddenly appear at the top of google um what's <laughs> is somebody behind that who, who stands to make money off of this particular way of viewing science or products um the product defense industry is just it, it's a huge it's a whole sector of the economy as i said and it's uh every polluting industry or dangerous harmful industry has has that, you know, gun manufacturers, the tobacco industries, um, processed food companies, you know, we do a lot of work, uh, also trying to explain how their propaganda campaigns work. And, and, and the, the, the seemingly trustworthy voices that they use to tell their stories through, for example, the Academy of Nutrition, and dietetics, medical groups, public health conferences. Um, we did a recent study showing how Coca-Cola is uh, influencing all of those channels of information that seem independent about what we hear about our food. So, you know, I think we have to look to our own um, body wisdom and the wisdom of our own communities um, and figure out what feels right. And for for food, that is somewhat simple, you know, whole foods, unprocessed foods, organic foods when you can, if you're lucky enough to access those foods, they're certainly better for health. I remember when I was living in Brooklyn, I lived in Ditmas Park at one point, and I was really alarmed by the quality of food in the markets there before it was this horrible word, but gentrified, consciously developed in that way. And as soon as it was gentrified, the food got better and the prices didn't even go up. But it's it's phenomenal how, and this is a related issue in terms of how Whole Foods has pushed a certain industry that isn't necessarily more ecological if we look specifically at palm oil, right? And it becomes a real problem when you have people saying, oh, I don't use butter, but I'm going to kill a thousand orangutan so I can feel good about not using butter, you know? So... There's this kind of slippage where that market has overtaken in a moral imperative to do better, but it actually isn't necessarily doing better, at least in certain areas, not at all. I'm happy that people are becoming more kind or allegedly 
people are becoming more conscious of the need to change dietary habits and buying habits. But there's another problem <laughs> that is somewhat related, but two steps away. And it's how the green industry is itself becoming a new market capitalism that, as you might have seen in the documentary that came out last year, Planet of the Humans. Basically, the argument of this film is that the green industry is creating even a greater carbon footprint than the carbon industry, and that we need to start to examine the fact that green spaces aren't they say that they're green, they're producing green energy, but they're not. They're using many tons of wood a day. And this is what's supplanting the lack of sun in winter and cloud cover and so forth. I think it's important that we get information from trusted sources. And this is why I go back to my Politburo inner dialogue always, because you're a journalist. I mean, you you are good at sussing out what information is good because that's how you were trained. I was trained in that way as well. But a lot of people aren't trained to know what they're reading is pure bullshit or not. They could easily go to one of those websites I read from earlier and think, oh, look, Monsanto isn't that dangerous. So we go back to media literacy at the end of the day. Yeah, it's extremely important as a first step. And, uh, you know, another thing I would point out that we see from the documents and from having this experience over the last decade is the people who tend rise to the top of this world of corporate product defense propaganda are very aggressive. They're very much bullies. They're very self-confident. They are brazen in the lies. And so it, it's hard to, to see that sometimes too. Well, this person's so confident, so aggressive. <laughs> they must know what they're talking about. Um, these are like crazy people rising to the top of a crazy system. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to, to, to go deeper. I mean, this is what I'm talking about, the understanding, the transparency, the, the know your sources, read wide ranges of media, talk to friends, listen to your own body wisdom, community wisdom. These are parts of it. But in the bigger picture, we need to challenge the logic of capitalism. You know, this idea that of, of externalities like the, the, the earth, the pollution, the cancer rates don't don't matter. They don't count. It's a GDP. It's only the short-term profit. As long as we have that system, it's it's going to be, you know, <laughs> crazy people rising to the top and business models that need to be defended with entire sectors of propaganda and lying to convince people that it's okay. Well, maybe we need to have laws that oblige the, the people sitting in the boardrooms in Manhattan that if they're going to vote for these products, they have to eat these products. <laughs> <laughs> right. And work in the fields and look at what's happening to the bees and that we got a lot of problems. But what can we do but keep on keeping on trying to just tell the truth and talk to each other about what's happening? Thank you.